This week on Myths and Legends, we're back in the Viking tales, and we'll learn that if you give a Viking a magic sword, he's going to want some rating to go with it, how magical dwarf dads are the best dads, and that a ball game that doesn't result in a homicide is pretty rare for Norse myth. The creature this week is Hog Boy, who's neither a hog nor a boy, but is a terrible roommate. This is Myths and Legends, episode 338, part 1. Mr. Viking, the Viking. This is a podcast where we tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you might think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. We're back in the legends of the Vikings. Today is an Icelandic saga set in the Viking Age about a Viking named Viking. We'll jump in as he's wrapping up story time with his dad and learning some troubling family secrets. So that is how I met your mother, Vilfi the warrior said, smiling at his son, a boy named Viking. Right, babe, he said to Amira. I hate you, Amira said. Viking's mother shirked away from his dad. <laughs> Vilfi smiled. That's just a fun game they played. He says he loves her, and she hurls bitter invectives at him. It had been going strong for 15 years. I actually kind of think she hates you, dad, Viking said. He kind of hated his dad now, too. Honestly, he learned that his dad had kidnapped a daughter of, what was it, Loki or Logi? Loki, Logi, what's the difference? Vilfi shrugged before taking a swig of mead. Kind of a big one, Viking said. Logi was a giant of Jotunheim, the personification of fire itself. Loki was, well, no one knew exactly what Loki was, but he was a trickster. Vilfi smiled. Maybe she got a little bit of both. She was a tricky firecracker, his wife, always trying to escape and sometimes catch him on fire. Viking learned why his family never took vacations to Jotunheim or Asgard, because after kidnapping the daughter of either the giant or Loki, his dad had been in hiding. So they lived on Midgard, on an island called Bornholm, currently under the rule of Denmark, but has been in the possession of Sweden and the now-defunct city-state of Lübeck. Most translations agree that your grandpa is Logi, the giant. Which would explain why you're such a husky boy, Vilfi slapped his son on the back. Husky was downplaying it a bit. At 15, Viking was the biggest person on their island, towering over even his father. I'm telling you all of this, my son, because the time has come for you to kidnap, sorry, court a bride of your own, Vilfi said. He told the young man a message had come for him. Both of them looked to the messenger who had been sitting there the whole time. Oh, sorry, can I speak now? The messenger said. He had been waiting through all of this backstory, hearing the origin of Viking horrifying story, BT-dubs. Uh, but yeah, Hunvor, the princess, had a giant problem in that a giant was causing problems in her father's kingdom. She heard of Viking, a jacked 15-year-old and the son of a giantess, and wanted to say, help me, Viking son of Imyra, you're my only hope. Viking learned that it was actually the giant who was hoping to kidnap a bride. Some translations call the giant a suitor, but that's not what that means. The day comes for every young man to get his father's magic sword, leave his parents' home, go to Sweden, and kill a sleazy giant. 
Vilfi wiped a tear from his eye. Viking wondered how universal that particular sequence of events was, but he looked at his dad. Wait, magic sword? His dad brought out the sword. Angervadel. It would be fatal. Even a giant's. How do you think I killed all those people to win your mother's hand? Vilfi smirked. Both the messenger and Viking looked to each other. That sounds like he murdered a bunch of people, kidnapping a giant woman. Viking stood in the stone circle where the three roads met. It was easy enough to draw the giant, Herrick Ironskull, to the dueling grounds. There was actually a Swedish law regarding when two people could legally kill each other, which, I mean, in Viking times, should not surprise you at all. Viking needed only to stand in the stone circle and insult the giant. Whether or not the giant understood the legal precedent that his family was entitled to half the wear guild, the man price, if Viking, the insulter, won, or that if the giant didn't show up to the ring at all, he could legally be declared an outlaw and killed anyway, didn't matter, because the giant, enraged by this jacked teenager who clearly worked out but was still a half-human teenager, the giant showed up to the duel. And his last thought was noticing that his eyes were getting farther and farther apart, and oh, he was cut in half. The Jotun, Herrick Ironskull, dropped two sides, and Viking had to pull his sword from the ground beneath the man which was buried up to the hilt. It was actually more of a struggle to get it out of the ground than to cut the guy in half. Sharp sword. This is more of a saga, but fairy tale rules still applied. Viking was entitled to the princess's hand in marriage, and seeing this strapping young man, she was more than happy to agree, and wait, why was he, where was he going? Why was he getting back on a ship? It's shameful, Viking said, sheathing his sword. The princess said that this was the early Middle Ages. Marriage age was actually a lot younger, so two 15-year-olds could absolutely get married. Viking said the marriage age wasn't young for him. He had a dragon ship. He had killed a giant. It was shameful for a man to get married before the age of 20. Cuts into his rating time. See you in five years, babe. She said, and he just expected her to wait for him? Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying I'll kill anyone who comes seeking your hand in marriage, but... He looked back to the ring of stones and the giant sitting in multiple pieces with the villagers picking his pockets. I have killed 100% of the other guys seeking your hand in marriage. You must be hot, Solbjort, meaning sunbright, said the Viking. He was walking along, enjoying the forest in autumn, when he chanced upon a beautiful woman sitting by a stream by herself, seemingly waiting for him. No, I'm good, actually, Viking smiled and started to continue on. It was actually a really nice day. Don't really need a coat, but you don't get hot from just walking around. It was perfect. She smiled. Well, did he want to spend some time with her? Notice the wink? Oh, sorry. Flattered, super flattered, but engaged. He held up his ring finger. Well, there was nothing on it, but she got the idea. He took another step. A alcohol? I have alcohol. She brought a horn from her cloak. Viking laughed. Uh, bury the lead much? Yes. He entered the clearing and took a big swig. Huh. If he was being honest, that tasted wee bit cursed. Wait, who are you? Wait, who am I? Where am I? What are all these sores? 
His father's warriors did use some of their treasure to get him set up with a nearby family. I mean, they didn't take him home, they weren't saints, and the family, when it was discovered that Viking was dying of leprosy, kind of regretted the kindness. A year later, another Viking leader named Halfdan, son of Ulf, stopped by the village. His men were restocking, hunting, and searching for water, and he chanced upon the place, and then the guy who had been in bed for a year. The Viking, who didn't know his name was Viking. Viking said the first thing he remembered was taking a drink from the horn of a woman named Solbjort. Halfdan knew that there was more to the Solbjort than she let on, obviously, and also because he knew her real name. She was Dis. Dis what? Viking said. No, no, we're not doing that. It's lazy. It's a lazy joke. Her name is D-I-S Dis, Halfdan said. Dis is a lazy joke? Viking asked. No, stop it. Halfdan slapped the man and then realized he probably shouldn't be slapping a man with leprosy. Dis was the son of K-O-L Cole, and she was the sister of Herrick Ironskull, who was killed by the Viking, Viking, three years ago. Halfdan knew who he was looking at. This was the Viking, Viking, who had disappeared after going Viking. Halfdan pleaded with Viking's caretakers to let him take Viking, and they said, no pleading necessary. They didn't even know him, and they were just being nice. They didn't want to die of leprosy. So Halfdan took Viking aboard his ship, Iron Ram. It was, disappointingly, neither Iron nor Ram. And the more they sailed, the sicker Viking became. Soon, Halfdan was home. He had to go get Lit. His, his dad was named Lit. They were Vikings, so they probably did have drinks too, though. Lit was his foster father and also a mythological dwarf from Svartalheim. I feel like there's a whole fun, weird backstory here, especially because Lit agreed to go on an extremely dangerous mission to retrieve the Horn of Solbjort, a.k.a. Dis. He just jumped right to it. You know, that's, that's parenting for you. This is like the giving tree, but with hopefully less death. Regardless, Daddy Dwarf did it. He returned with Dis's horn. And because he was a dad, he absolutely just beat that joke to death. Be like, who? Whose horn? Dis's horn? You know, that sort of thing. Once again, we're not told how. That could have been a cool story. One drop from her horn, though, and Viking was cured. He thanked Halfdan and declared the man his blood brother. We'll see that the giants are just getting started, but that will be right after this. Hey, Half Dan, the 18-year-old Viking, named Viking, said to his buddy, Half Dan, Hey, HD, you ever think there might be more to life than sailing around, taking whatever we want from whoever we want during the cool Scandinavian summers, and then lodging with some king in the winter, where we feast and drink and party? Halfdan burped. Nope. Viking smiled. Yeah, neither do I. Our lives rule. Both Viking and Halfdan looked to each other as they felt the ground rumble ever so slightly. Before they could leap to their weapons, though, the thatch and timbers of the longhouse roof were obliterated in a collapsing column. They have arrived, one of Viking's warriors called out. Don't, don't make it seem like they're more than they are. They're just giants. 
We've killed their family members, we'll kill them too. But until we do, party winner is on hold, everyone. Halfdang yelled and nodded to Viking. Time to get to work. And they did. The giants, the siblings and aunts and uncles, and the third cousins and former roommates of the giant he killed to save the Swedish kingdom, well, throughout the past year, they just kept coming. Viking and Halfdan heard the all-too-familiar crunch of a club coming down on a room full of partiers. Halfdan ran up the arm of one of the giants, going for the neck and eyes with his axe. Viking, with the magic sword Angervadel, had the luxury of just staying on the ground and slashing. He would later learn that Jokel Ironback, the brother to Dis and Herrick, was the one he killed that day. There was one more to go when, all around him, the tables and benches began to shudder. Bones, slick with blood and sinew, slid across the wood and found their bodies. Viking groaned. Ugh. What, 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 what's going on? Halfdan said, rising to his feet after crashing to the ground on a dying giant. They're doing the raising the dead thing again, Viking called out. Ugh, seriously? Halfdan cut down the servant, who had just topped up his cup of mead not 20 minutes before. The young man snarled on the ground. The giant in the distance, waving the staff, cackled. It was Dis herself. She hadn't completely recovered from when Lit took the horn. Apparently they fought, and she was bedridden for weeks. Once again, would be nice to know any details. Anyway, she was working her actual magic from a distance. Viking yelled out, for her to not laugh, this is just annoying. After they defeated her, they had to spend the rest of the morning hunting these guys down. It was just a colossal waste of time. Four hours later, they finally finished chasing down the whites. Dis died ignobly. She hadn't planned out much past raising the army of the dead, Hardholm style, and being all annoying. They chased her down, put a sack over her head, and, according to the story, stoned her to death. These are brutal times. Half Dan, though, was wincing. There was something Viking should know. Something Dis said before she died that he wasn't sure Viking had heard. India? Viking had to sit down. Dis's third brother, Ingyald Snout, kidnapped his fiancée and her servant and took them both to India? Does that even track, like, historically? I mean, maybe... Vikings definitely made it to Byzantium, in the country that would one day be called Iran, but India is stretching it. They had silks from China, but those were likely only obtained via trade. Halfdan took a seat next to his friend. Viking was annoyed. Getting to Byzantium alone meant going through Eastern Europe and taking a flat-bottom riverboat and carrying it overland for miles upon miles. He didn't even want to ask about the Suez Canal. Ugh. 1800s, late 1800s, it's a long journey to get to India from Scandinavia, any way you slice it. Also, we should probably stop with the anachronisms. We get a few angry emails every time we go on for this long, Halfdan observed. What's an email? Viking winked. Halfdan smiled. Nice, back to it. Wow, that was a long trip to India, and subsequent battle against all those giants, Viking said to Halfdan. Their 24 ships worth of men had taken down the Jotun that lived in India, leaving only Ingyald's snout standing, and 
By surrounding the giant with shields, and Viking going in personally to fight and subdue him, they had him. Ingeld's snout would be executed first thing tomorrow, because Viking would not execute a man at night, that went against his honor. I won't pretend to understand Viking ethics, but I personally have a difficult time wrapping my mind around a world where it's okay to slaughter defenseless people and sell women and children, and, well, anybody, into slavery, but executing a guy at night? That is a step too far. Anyway, he escaped. Viking and Half Dan looked at the chains the next day. You know what the issue was? Um, chaining up the man who can change his size and shape? Half Dan observed. Viking said, yeah, that, that was probably it. They likely debated hunting Ingjald's snout down, but he was the last of his family left alive, so they would risk it. They found the Princess Hunvor and started the long, long journey home. Silver lining of the years it took to get to India and back? Viking was over 20 now. He and Hunvor married. Halfdan married her chief servant, Ingibjorg, and settled close to Viking. They lived happily ever after. For about three years, then Hunvor died. It wasn't immediate, of course, and while from a story perspective, it is a bit unsatisfying. That's how life is sometimes. They had one child together, a son named Ring. And after I mourned for the appropriate amount of time according to our culture and tradition, that's when I met your mother, Viking said to his softball team-sized family, his nine sons, Thorstein, Thorer, Finn, Ulf, Stein, Romund, Finbogi, Einstein, and Thorgir. They were sitting there for story time, next to their uncle Halfdan, who was visiting. Yes, Finna. She was a maid of surpassing fairness and accomplishments. This was, of course, after Halfdan lost a calf muscle when Ingjald's snout returned as a boar. I killed him. 100% me, no one else. Viking smiled. Brother? Jarl Halfdan chided. Wasn't, wasn't Njorfi there too? Viking's kids all hissed. Viking joined in. Yes, hiss, children, hiss. He's a bad man. What? Halfdan said. It had been a while since he visited. Long enough for Finna and Viking to have nine children, so at least a decade. But they hated Njorfi? The nine boys hissed again. Viking raised his arms. Yes, children, yes. More booze next time. Njorfi was another Viking. He was someone Viking, the character, and Halfdan fought, but couldn't beat. So instead of relentlessly killing each other, the trio teamed up and killed everyone else. Well, not everyone, just the people with nice stuff and no defenses. The three became blood brothers. Things had always been tense between Viking and Njorfi, with Viking issuing an order for the men, and Njorfi stepping forward and telling the men that yes, he gave them permission to follow what Viking, his trusted underling, said. In fact, they should consider all orders coming from Viking as coming from him. Ignore him, Viking had stepped forward. I'm so proud of you, having the confidence to step forward on your own, Njorfi smiled and sauntered off. He would leave it to him. No, no, you're not. He's not leaving it to us. I'm, I'm leading you all, Viking said to a bunch of confused raiders who kind of didn't want to get involved in whatever this was. They just wanted the simple enjoyment of cutting a bunch of defenseless people down. And they did. Despite themselves, they had come home with plenty of treasure. Viking married the daughter of a Jarl. Halfdan was still married. And Jorfi married the daughter of a king. And Viking and Halfdan settled on either side of a mountain. 
travel was difficult because, in the center of the valley in the middle of the mountains, was a 45-foot-wide chasm. Yes, and Yorfi Mary Bringard, daughter of High Olaf, king of Fjordfilki, Viking spat. They're unsafe and wicked in their dealings. Worst of all, he has nine kids too. Jokul, Grim, Olaf, Tite, Tyrfing, Bjorn, Gare, Grain, and Toki. So? Halfdan asked. I was supposed to have more sons, Halfdan. Viking pointed at his chest. He said he was getting older. He couldn't go raiding and fighting giants anymore. He had to live by proxy through his sons and fill them with crushing expectations. Halfdan said he he didn't have to. Viking ignored him. He continued. His sons and the sons of the king, Yorfi now, play ball together. Regularly. Halfdan said that that didn't sound like it would end well. Halfdan, please. It is just a fun game, Viking said. Besides, what is more chill than a middle-aged dad who feels his own prime slipping away coaching his kids playing ball? Nothing says relaxed and fun time like a dad yelling from the sidelines. We go easy on them though, right boys? Because they're the sons of the king. He looked at Thorstein. Right? Right, that's what you were doing yesterday? Going easy on him? Nod. Yes. Yes, you were. Because the other option is that you're a failure and that you disappointed me and you shamed this family. Viking turned back to Halfdan, who swallowed hard. Sorry, where were they? We'll see the fateful ball game that changes everything, but that will, once again, be right after this. Halfdan looked nervously. He was heading out right after this game, but it was 9v9, the ball game. Now, if you haven't seen the movie The Northman, basically it's a Viking saga revenge tale played completely straight, so it's incredibly bloody. Anyway, while the ball game scene in that movie is probably excessively violent, in every story I've read in the sagas where someone plays ball, I can't think of one where someone did not die. It's like rugby with clubs. Except in this story, this one time, Njorfi, the new king after his father-in-law died, and Viking's sons were playing in a ball game. Thorer, which comes from Yorir and has the meaning Thor's warrior, but just sounds like Viking, the dad, was like, what's more Thor than Thor? Ah, yes, Thorer. Anyway, Thorer threw the ball past Olaf, and it went out of bounds. Way out of bounds. Olaf jogged to go get it, but by the time he came back, they had called the game. It was getting dark. Olaf knew that people didn't just simply misjudge how far or hard they threw things, and this had to be a direct insult to him. He gritted his teeth, gripped his club, and swung. Luckily, Thorer lived up to his name and ducked at the last moment, with the club only glancing off the top of his head. He went down, but the brothers ran to intervene, the dads might have been getting up in each other's faces like baseball coaches, but the sons were trying to break it up. They knew they were the ones that lost if a fight broke out. Cooler heads prevailed. Almost. Jokul, Njorfi's oldest, smiled at Thorer. Little guy could handle that, right? Little bump on the head? Good boy. When they got home, Thorer patted the bag at his side. Oh, forgot his gloves back at the field. You... 
should stay home, Thorstein told his younger brother. It's not safe for you to go out to the field at night. Thorer said he would be fine. Please, he was a son of Viking just like his big bro. Totally cool. See, I was fine. Thorer waved his gloves at his brother when he returned home an hour later. He also had a bloody spear in his possession. And what is that? Thorstein pointed. Thorer looked at the spear. Oh, this? He took his brother's advice and brought a weapon. You know, because the ball field wasn't safe. And well, oh, there was a terrible accident. Olaf, the guy who hit him that day, just ran right into it without warning. Wait, he was at the ball field? Thorstein saw torches and people running to Njorfi's house off in the distance. Well, no, I mean, he turned a corner at night in his own house, Thorer said. Weird, right? So, so you murdered him then, Thorstein facepalmed. Viking burst through the door. What happened? Thorstein pointed to Thorer. Thorer killed Olaf. Viking said he knew that. Ugh, why? It was the ball game, right? You irresponsible hotheads. Thorstein stepped in. Hold up. Dad was always trying to get them to rough up the other team. On the ball field. Viking pleaded. There was deniability there. You're a bunch of jacked Viking bros with clubs. Accidents happen. You can't murder the son of the king in his house. You hate him, Thorer screamed. Oh yeah, who loves their boss, but I'm not going to murder him, Viking paced. All right, there's only one option here. He pointed to Thorer. Exile. Thorstein said, what? The others began to gather around. Yeah, you were gone when I got back. Otherwise, I'd have to bring you in or, or worse. His voice cracked. Get packing. If he goes, I'm going with him. Thorstein stepped forward. Viking said his eldest couldn't be serious. He was preparing Thorstein to be Jarl. You have nine sons in this time so that if you lose one or five to ball game murders, you have some spares. Thorstein was the important one. He was the next generation of House Viking. And he knew that that sounded really generic, but that was the name he had been given, so let's roll with it. Thorstein told Viking to relent on telling his son to leave then. Viking couldn't. Thorstein might understand one day, but Viking's protection of Thorer would lead to open war between him and the king. They would all be massacred, because the king wouldn't just have his nine sons out for blood, but his berserkers too. Thorer committed the crime. The other brothers didn't need to pay with their inheritance, with their life. Thorstein said that that's where he and his father differed. Thorstein would stand by his brother, no matter the man's mistakes. He turned and clasped his brother on the shoulder. I'm coming with you, Thorer, Thorstein said with a stern look. Me too, another brother spoke up. Me too, yet another said. And my axe, Ulf, one of the sons crowed. The rest looked at him. What? I'm, I'm bringing my axe. The rest said that that was, that was fine. They all were. He just didn't need to be all specific and yelly about it. And you all will do this? They couldn't be dissuaded. Vikings swore. Okay. This was the future of their family, but he respected their decision. Also, they were all stronger than him, so if this was their choice, it was literally the only thing keeping them alive. He told them to get ready. Viking pulled Thorstein aside. He had something for the man. Anger Vadil. Thorstein didn't believe a lot of his father's old stories, but the sword, 
there was something about this sword that radiated power. It was crafted by the same dwarves that made Thor's hammer, or so they say. The story goes that it can cut through anything, and I've yet to prove it false, Viking said. He sheathed it and pressed it into his son's hands. Thorstein said he couldn't accept it. It had been in their family for generations. And now it will pass to the next one, Viking said. He was quickly coming to terms with the idea that his plan for his son's life and his son's life were sharply diverging, and that that was okay. Also, totally cool if Thorstein wanted to stick to his father's plan for his life. He and Thorstein's mother didn't have nine sons to have them all go into exile. Nope. Okay, just thought he'd ask. Again. Viking could see the lights of a few torches becoming dozens growing in the distance. It was time. He told his boys that he had planned for this, in a way. Up in the forest to the north, there was a lake called Vaynern. He had taken each of them to it at one point in their lives. On that lake, hidden away, was a boat. Take the boat to the other end. The lake was massive, the largest in Sweden by far. If, say, hypothetically, all the nations in Europe were to come together to be something like a European Union, this would be the largest lake in said Union. So, the boys said goodbye to their parents, and Viking and Finna watched their sons leave in the night. Jokul couldn't believe what he was hearing. What did his father mean, let it go? Njorfi said he was the king. He made his decision. Jokul said they took Olaf's life, the life of his son. And he lost all of his sons, Njorfi said. If they ever return, they will be hunted. Let that be enough. Njorfi and Viking might disagree. They might hate each other at times, but they swore a blood oath. They were like brothers. Njorfi wouldn't have Viking's family exterminated because of the actions of one son. There was to be no more revenge against Viking and his sons. It was over. Jokul had turned over every piece of furniture in Viking's house, tore every fabric and skin, and even searched the ashes for a hiding son. Still, there was nothing. The nine sons of Viking were truly gone. Jokul, the eldest and heir apparent, watched with a smile as his father struggled to rise from his throne. He would follow his father's orders while his father was still king. Now, if a strange man whispers at you from an alley to come take a look at something, I'd probably pass on that. If that something is a bag of weather, and you're trying to cross a massive lake to avenge your sibling, but can't pull workers away to build a boat for you because it will alert your aging dad of your disobedience, that's pretty specific. But maybe your better judgment can sit this one out. And that's what Jokul found. The man in the alley, Ogatan, knew of Jokul's problems with the Viking Vikings, because everyone knew of Jokul's problems with the Viking Vikings. He also, importantly, knew where they were and how to get to them. It was here that Jokul learned of the farmhouse and the cliffs, where they wouldn't be able to approach the Vikings, that there was a lake where Viking had apparently built a dragon ship years before, in case he ever needed to go on the lamb, I guess. A dragon ship that would destroy any lesser ship it came across. The solution was a bag of weather. The weather belg. Fogutan shook it. Storm and wind would blow out with such biting frost that 
in three days' time? Not just that lake, but every lake, fjord, creek, bay, pond, spring, stream, puddle, shoal, marsh, tributary. Jokel cut him off. He got it. No need for the second grade geography lessons. Water frozen. Made sense. And the water did freeze. For nothing more than the admittance into the soon-to-be King Jokel's inner circle, Okatan shook the bag, let the winds free, and, true to his word, in three days' time, Lake Vaynern was frozen solid. The sons of Viking were wide open. And, when the thirty warriors marched across the ice, they found the house quiet and dark. That night, Thorir awoke from a terrible dream. Wolves, foxes, and a great bear were walking on the lake, coming for them. And just as he shook Thorstein awake, Jokel, the bear from his dream, kicked in the door, and the wolves flooded in. That's where we're going to leave it this time. We're firmly out of Viking saga and onto Thorstein's Viking sons. We'll wrap up the story next week, and then, after that, we're doing a Halloween story again this year. If you'd like to support the show, there's still a membership thing on the site. For less than the price of Cotties, flip-flops that look like fish, you can get extra episodes and ad-free versions of this show that won't make your feet look and hopefully not smell like you just stuffed them in dead fish check out mythpodcast.com slash membership or find us on Apple Podcasts for more info on the membership. The creatures this time are the hog boy from Anglo-Saxon lore in Britain. We've all had terrible roommates. I have unfortunately been on both sides of it and I've been a terrible roommate. Sorry, Anthony, who in no way listens to the show. That being said, when your roommates are Barrow Whites... Maybe it's time to move out. Also called the hog boon throughout Britain, or hog boy in the Orkney Islands in particular, these creatures are the soured souls of a farm's former residents. Won't pretend to understand the motivations of a medieval undead British person, but it's probably not helped by calling them hog boy. The body having deteriorated to a nightmarish state, the hog boy were bedraggled, with long faces, flaming eyes, and backwards knee joints for some reason. They guard the treasure they were buried with and, in addition to treasure hunters, will lash out at children playing near their graves, people walking by, or, I guess, hobbits. Yeah, these were the pretty obvious inspiration for the Barrow Whites from The Fellowship of the Ring, a scene that was cut from the movie probably because it was too much of a detour from the main story, but also because it contains a puzzling amount of hobbit nudity. St. Guthlock of Crowland, in the 7th and 8th century, according to the history, built a hermitage in the side of a plundered barrow. According to legend, he was constantly plagued by barrow whites during his decades-long stay there. And the British countryside is littered with half-ruined monasteries, abbeys, priories, and most were built hundreds of years after Guthlock died. If you're constantly being attacked by ghosts, it's probably hampering your devotions and it's a good time to move. Maybe he knew how to kill a hog boy, which, like Draugr, means beheading the creature and then shoving its head between its legs. I guess they would have had to cut that part from the movie too, where Tom Bombadil pulls the head off the white and shoves its face in its own butt.
that's it for this time. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more of the music we used in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>